podcast, the First Impressions Edition. I'm Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. Uh, the Colts lose 38-27 to to the Saints today. Uh, this, the defense gave up, I believe, 511 yards of offense. Tony Brown started. We'll get to all that in the categories. I think one of the things that I want to get to in terms of just the, as a lead-in, I want to kind of set the stage for, for Colts fans who probably haven't been following the Saints. Um, obviously, I used to cover the Saints. I still have friends there. I uh, saw those guys on Saturday night. We talked, you know, as football writers to do about football. And this was a football team. I know the Saints have playmakers. Like Alvin Kamara is good. Uh, Alvin Kamara is great, really. Um, you know, Chris Olave is very talented. Michael Thomas, Rashid Shahid, those guys are all good. But this was an offense that was in disarray. They They were... They spent the week um, asking about communication between Derek Carr and the receivers, about whether or not they could score, uh, game plan stuff. It, this was an offense that they did not think could get going at all. And the defense uh, somehow made them look like the Drew Brees 2009-ish or 2008-ish Saints. Um all of a sudden, everything is right in Saints. And it could have been worse. It could have been worse if Chris Olave catches a ball that uh, he should have wide open that that Derek Carr put on him. So that's that's maybe a backdrop to this, too. Like, as bad as this defensive performance was, like, if once you know the context of what, what the, where the Saints were and what was being said in New Orleans about that team, it, I think it does make it worse. Yeah, no doubt. It's what you would call a get-right game uh, for the Saints. And unfortunately... Um, you know, for the Colts, that it, it ends up kind of summing up what this game was is that they <clears throat> they're here at home. They've lost two in a row. They kind of they really needed this game to sort of just get out of this funk, get back to four and four, and and get back to some of those feelings they had just a couple weeks ago about you know that they they kind of thought they were they were going for something this year. And and right now it feels like uh, there's just a lot of issues here because we knew this team was going to have some offensive issues once Anthony Richardson went down for the year. Uh, just some of where they're at with a passing game and a young passing game and a you know a new scheme and that stuff. But the defense is what they just couldn't play around today at all, giving up more than 500 yards and just big play after big play, um, 12.2 yards per attempt for the Saints passing game. Like you said, that came into today being the weakness of that team. So when they're able to do that on on this team, it, it just makes you wonder going forward, uh, you know, some of the other tests, maybe not in the next couple of weeks when they play teams like the Panthers and Patriots, but in a passing league, like they're going to face a lot of teams that, that are at least capable. And, and today goes to show that you can face a team like the Saints that maybe they're not firing all cylinders. Maybe they don't have, you know, the most electric, you know, dialed in quarterback in the world. Maybe their pass protection is not perfect. But if you're going to play pass defense the way that the Colts did specifically, if you're going to try and fit the run on some of those uh, design quarterback keepers, um, and some of the other stuff they did with Alvin Kamara, just sort of, uh, you know, short passes and whatnot. If if, if you're going to be that out of position, uh, there's a lot of teams that can can torch you in a seven-on-seven seven setting. And today it was the Saints, and it's just leaves a lot that they have to fix pretty quickly because this league's kind of, even though it looks like their schedule-wise is, uh, their schedule makes it look like they're going to have some easier chances. Like maybe that's a get-right game for those teams if they don't fix this uh, pretty soon. Yeah, we'll we'll get into the categories right away here. It's a loss, so we'll start with building the game. We've we've got some options here. Uh, what do you got? Uh, I think the easy villain of the game for this one is uh, 
you know, it has to be Tony Brown. Um, I'm going to let you sort of, I think there's two different directions we can go with this, unless you had a different one you want to go with. It's both the player and the reason he's out there. Um, I, I know you've written more on the, the second one, so I'll let you get into that. I'll go with Tony here uh, because I'll get a, you know, I'll start off in, in, as a caveat. I, I don't think he should have been out there. I don't think he should have been the choice today or ever an option to be in this spot. But for a guy who was in this spot, asked to be starting in an outside corner spot, you knew there were going to be struggles. You knew he wasn't going to be, you know, a game changer out there. But some of the stuff he did was just frankly not acceptable from an NFL player. And obviously we saw, you know, the big deep passes, just just kind of how slow he got out of his break to recover on down the field. Um, you can't play that way. And, but but not just skills skills wise. I felt like there were a couple of plays in run defense, namely Taysom Hill's 20 yard touchdown run that. I don't know what Tony was doing, but I figured that would be one thing he could bring is the tackling. Some of the physicality came from special teams. I know he's you know not practiced as much, so maybe maybe some parts of the run fits weren't going to be perfect, but just didn't like the effort I saw on, on a couple of those uh, those run plays. And then also that penalty he had, uh, which was a big part in the point in the game when he had the uh, he shoved Taysom Hill in the face right in front of a referee after the play, got a 15 yard or a personal foul that turned a third and one into a first and goal from the one and the Saints just punched it in. They were going to have four runs to get in from the one yard line and just such a deflating moment where the defense knew how much they were up against a long day, a bad game for them, but they had a chance to either force a field goal or maybe have a chance to do what they do best, which is win in short yardage and to not have that chance. I thought that was a big turning point in the game. So um, I don't think Tony was put in a very fair or realistic position today, but I also just don't feel like his uh, his focus and effort were as good as they could have been either. The the penalty, he said after the game that he, he's got to be better aware of when the play is ending, but that, that he was called for a face mask. Not, yeah. Not for a late hit. He was called for a face. Like, that was a penalty either way. You can't. And And it, like... Let's be honest, it wasn't really a football play. He wasn't in range to make the tackle. This was happening away from him uh, while he's being blocked by Taysom Hill. Like it, he, That's blaming it on the timing of the play doesn't make sense. Like you, you reacted. Probably, you know, you reacted in a way that you didn't need to react. It came at a key time. Um, there's not a whole lot else to say. I mean, let's, we'll, just, we'll just slide right into my villain of the game. Because here's the thing it's not surprising. Like, it's not surprising. It's not the surprising part is that he was the starter. Um, the surprising part is that he was the starter because just he's he just hasn't played outside corner in the NFL very much at all. The, the most he's ever played in the NFL on defense was like 257 snaps, I believe, as a rookie in Green Bay. He hasn't played more than 100 snaps on defense at all since then. And I'm I, you don't like. I, I guess I'm going to give out joint villains of the game because I don't know how to. I don't know how to how to weigh who's more responsible for this. But like number one is Chris Ballard for this is the cornerback situation they have, and number two is the defensive coaching staff for not coming up with a better solution. Like we've asked him, and I think everyone has talked about. It, can you get Nick Cross on the field? Can you move Julian Blackman to the slot? Um, Nick Cross has been has played the slot in the past. Play Kenny Moore outside. You 
you don't in that scenario have to play what's realistically an unplayable corner and you knew they were an unplayable corner there's a there's a quote um that was in my that's in my story on this that that's important to bring up here um but you know you you've got uh you got Gus Bradley saying essentially two or three weeks ago I think it was three weeks ago he said Tony Brown can play nickel for a player too if he has to and we know that's that's how they feel because last year he got nine snaps on the defense and Kenny Moore did was hurt down the stretch and they moved Julian Blackman instead of doing it. Now, maybe they're thinking Juju Brents is going to be back soon um, and we don't want to mess with anything that's not going to be permanent. But you just lost a game that maybe you could have won. Uh, and and I just I just don't understand why you didn't try something else that was more flexible. Like you can go back to whatever you're doing when Brent is when Brent is back. I think that's my other thing with with. I know everyone keeps there, there's a there's a train of thought out there that's just this is okay. It's fine that the Colts did this because we weren't supposed to win this year anyway. But you could have won that game. You could have won the Browns game with better depth at corner. And like I understand wanting a higher draft pick, but like. Should you really be just late, just giving up wins in the NFL? I, I, it just feels weird to me. It'd be one thing if they were. It'd be one thing if they weren't in these games. I, I mean, I think Shane Steichen's doing a really good job offensively in terms of creating points with a backup quarterback. But I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't buy that necessarily. That it's just okay to because it wouldn't have cost you any assets necessarily. Like, uh, yeah, we're talking that's... about. We're talking about a. We were talking about this before we did the podcast. It's not even about having like an investment corner, just one replacement level experience corner who can go into the game if Brents goes down. You know, that's yeah. And we all saw this coming. Everyone saw this coming. Literally everybody in training camp said, you know what? They're starting all these young guys. There's a chance this doesn't work out. And there's been some good stuff with Jalen Jones and Juju Brents. But you need more than two. Everyone knows that. And we've seen it the last two weeks. Juju Brents went down, and it's bit them two weeks in a row. Yeah, it's – I mean, honestly, they're at a point when, like, a guy like Brandon Faison would be a huge improvement over what they're playing right now the last two weeks in Daryl Baker Jr. And, and Tony Brown, mostly because at least he's played – and also over Tony, at least he's an outside corner. I, I'm just not convinced that Tony Brown is an outside corner. He's I mean, not. The description you just said from Gus that he's a backup nickel. We know his role special teams. So he's saying if he had to go in the game because of an injury at that spot, and he very much specified nickel corner. So they basically moved his position in just a few days. To me, it's kind of reminiscent of last year when this team did that with, uh, you know, moving Matt Pryor's position ahead of a short week at Denver. We crushed him for that. Like you're putting players in – positions where you're basically guaranteeing that they're going to fail unless the other team just doesn't take advantage of it. And, you know, the Saints, honestly, I think they could have gone more at Tony Brown today. I think it was, you say it was nine attempts? This is just going off of unofficially what I I was taking in the press box. I had had eight catches in nine targets for 192 yards. Yeah, I felt like it could have been more. I thought right out of the second half, you know, I was surprised that the Colts just ruled that out there. And this is where I, I agree with that villain being the Colts coaching staff. There really was no adjustment throughout the game, even 
to and it's hard to hide outside corners. I'm not saying they were like great options, but I thought when we got to the second half, we would at least see some more of Daryl Baker Jr., who of course has had his issues. And I think today them not playing him at all showed you that kind of what they thought of some of the penalties he had a week ago and you know whether or not they were good calls or bad calls. Colts believe from what we can see is that they weren't good calls, but that doesn't mean that they thought Daryl did the right thing on those plays. It's very telling to me that he was the answer last week and this week he's not even an option. And that's why I thought the Saints were going to go right back at Tony Brown out of the second half. They did it for like two drives. And that's when I thought the Colts had a window because it was a 21-20 game at that point. Uh, but then it kind of corrected itself and they got a couple more explosive plays. But uh, but yeah, it just goes back to the fact that like they they, they set this up to where yeah, we always talk about with Chris Ballard, he takes some bets at positions every year. And it's I think it's it's fine to do that here and there at a certain position that you know that even if it's weak, you can sort of deal with a little bit. Uh, but outside cornerback is just not the spot for that. And I think the people that are saying, you know, things like it doesn't really matter, this isn't this year wasn't about winning. Those are people who are I think those are just fans who are kind of checked out and OK with waiting for the draft. But that's just not how like a team can operate. You can't like I thought they I just think you owe it to the players on this team. You owe it to a guy like DeForest Buckner, who you convinced to come back because you said you weren't rebuilding and that you, he didn't need to leave like Spawn Gilmore left. Like I think they owed it to guys like that to give them something, anything more than options like this at, at premium positions to where, you know, Buckner as an example, had, you know, that, that strip sack, but that's, he's, he, I asked him point blank. I said, do you just have to make like three of those a game at this point? Like I, that's what they have the position they're putting some of these players in because they can't fix what they didn't break, which is uh, the depth of some of these outside, you know, at these premium positions. I tried going, going back to your point about Tony Brown being an outside corner. I spent a little bit of time while I was writing my story, trying to decide whether or not Brown had ever played outside corner. And I can't tell if he did with Green Bay in 2018. They didn't write about it much. I think that was a lost year for the Packers. I think that's one of the Rodgers injury years or something. Um, but he definitely hasn't played like defense in, since then um, in, in, in any range or form. So yeah, it's, we could, we could go on this all night, but like, I, I think, I think you're right. I, from what I could tell, I don't think he has played outside. And his answer, yeah. like I asked him, we've never seen him play that. We there's we already brought you the Bradley quote. I asked him, you know, have you practiced much at outside corner before this week? And his answer was, well, I was drafted as a corner, and I've played there before. It wasn't like they've been cross training me for a while. I I don't know. I, it it was it was weird. Well, it's just telling. I you know maybe this is on me for not seeing it the the right way or the way that it played out but on tuesday i wrote a story about you know we we kind of got word then that juju wasn't going to be able to play and i tried to lay out the options and i don't think i mentioned tony brown in that story and so maybe i should have but also what we saw today showed like i don't think he is an option like they, they went with him but he shouldn't have been an option and i just i'm surprised they didn't do something different either what like i think the most sensible thing is what you said about moving kenny outside i think i know why they're not doing that because i think they just fear messing with the communication too much and that'll hurt the development of young players like jalen jones and but whatever i think you gotta you owe it to this team to try and win this game right now uh but like other options i laid out there were either 
you know, play Daryl Baker Jr. again and, and live with some of that. That's obviously not great. I thought maybe maybe you play Amir Speed, even though he's only been here a week. But, you know, he has, you know, he's, he's played outside corner. He's at least an outside cornerback in skill set, and that's what he played last year at Michigan State. And he's, you know, he's got this, you know, speed and size that they want, even though he's obviously incredibly raw. You know, I just thought there was – I just thought they would do something other than let's take a special teamer and teach him how to play one of the toughest positions on the field for a week. So that that's what it looked like out there. You know what? I just thought of something else in terms of like the idea that this is fine because this is what they were going to do this year. If, if they hadn't done this with other positions in years when they were trying to, when they were, when they were absolutely trying to win, maybe that's a different thing, but this happens every year. Yeah. At one position or the other, this happens every year, and it has happened in years they were absolutely trying to make the playoffs and win. And so I think I think that's got to be taken into into account too, in terms of the the, the goals of this year. Grant, yes, I, I think we all know what they were trying, what they thought they were trying to do at the beginning of this year. I still think that if you're better than you think, you should try to win. But they, they Ballard, Chris Ballard does this in other years with other positions. Sometimes with this position, he think he did it with corner. Um, he did it with corner. I, the, the gears escaping me off the top of my head. Maybe nineteen. He's done it before. Like, and so that that is a concern to me going forward. Um, I, I want to move on. Get. We don't want to spend you know the entire. We don't want to spend an hour talking about this and then still have categories to go through. So we'll get to hero of the game. Um, it's kind of a weird game in that like the Colts had a lot of uh, good things happen, but hero of the game still feels a little weird. Um. I'm I'm going to go with Jonathan Taylor here. Um, this is the second consecutive week that I felt like he looks like the JT we're expecting to see. Um, you talked to him after the game. I want to I want to ask you about this. Uh, there were some fans wondering if he was hurt, um, and maybe I'm stepping on your unsung villain. If not, just take. If 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 I am, just take him. Just take it. Uh, but we can always get back to here at the game. But. Did he did he say anything about being banged up? No, not at all. Shane Shane sometimes Shane just sort of dodges a question if there might be an injury. He flat out said no. There's no. It was not an injury situation with him at all. And so he he only got one carry in the second half, but twelve carries, ninety five yards, a forty two yard run in there. Um, he just he just looks like Taylor. He looks like Jonathan Taylor to me. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, he averaged seven point nine. That's that's crazy. I mean, that's and like he had 42 on one play, but even the other 11 went for 53. Like if we take out your best run and you have 11 carries for 53, that's still really good. And I just yeah, I think we saw a real mix of everything. I mean, like Drew Ogletree put it well. We said like we saw his vision. You saw physicality. You saw agility. You saw, you know, downhill speed kind of this total package that's just very hard to get in running backs. Like he, it's, it's everything that made him that rushing champion in 2021. And, you know, I had a feeling that today would be a big game for him because he'd been trending toward being this guy. It looked like it last week. Thought they needed it more this week with Zach Moss dealing with some injuries. And you know, I'll save some of the other stuff for, for some of the other categories. But, yeah, I agree. I thought he looked uh, really, really good out there. Uh, my – here are the game. I'm going to go with the force Buckner for that strip sack. Uh, just a huge moment in the game because that's kind of right when they were starting to really go after uh, Tony Brown. And right then is when 
uh, Dio and and DeForest just collapsed that pocket and kind of worked as a tag team. DeForest punches the ball out, Dio lands on it, and and that gave him the chance to go up 17-7 in this game. And that's that's like, you know, they were in this game mostly because that's the one play they made on defense, and it, it obviously didn't end up being enough. Uh, but that's kind of the only route they had today to playing defense was for somebody there to wreck the game. And it's getting hard on DeForest right now because he doesn't have Grover next to him in the run game. So I think he's he's having a harder time impacting it. Like teams are able to run away from him more. So, um, and we know how much he gets double teamed, like like absolutely crazy. So he's having a harder time to make these impact plays, sort of come up with one that was that big and and have a chance to give them a 10-point lead like that, I thought was pretty impressive. Unsung villain of the game. You got one right off the top of your head? Yeah, I'm going to... This this feels like a weird answer because I think he mostly had a... It's good that it's unsung because I think he mostly had a good game and it's a reason why they were in it. But I'm going to go with Shane Steichen for this role with Jonathan Taylor. I just wrote a story about it and going through it all, I, it, I, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me why... They came out and ran him 11 times in the first half and then one time in the second half. And, you know, he had an explanation of, you know, he wondered, you know, that they gave Moss a series in the second half and he had that big run. And so they wanted to ride the hot hand. Well, the thing is, Moss had a 41 yard run uh, down the right sideline and credit to him. uh, He's gutting out a couple of tough nagging injuries right not nagging but a couple of tough issues with both elbow and heel issues and the heel i think it's affecting him right now he was he's not built as a you know an open field guy that's not his best strength anyway but you noticed it today and um and some guys were kind of on his team were joking that he got caught from behind on that run which really was just a gorgeously blocked play i'm giving him a lot of credit he's at a I'm trying to because he's had a really nice year. He's second in the league in, in rushing. And I thought today showed exactly why they love him here is that he'll play through injuries and he'll just sort of deal with it. But that that's the whole issue is we were asking about is Jonathan Taylor dealing with an injury? And Shane says, no, your other running back was. And he was the one that they ended up sort of riding in the second half. And for Taylor to have one more carry than Moss today, just a little, just a little strange. And specifically with that 41-yard run, Moss got caught from behind. I think if it's Taylor, there's a chance he houses it. If he houses it, the Colts have a lead in the second half, which they never had today. If that happens, Gardner Minshew doesn't throw an interception two plays later. And if all that goes that way, they're not in the spot that Shane said is why they didn't run, because he said we had to pass because the score of what it was. Well, that's because you didn't find explosive plays on offense and because you didn't give the ball to the guy who was – has the best chance of getting them and Jonathan Taylor. And so I just think the other thing I asked Shane about was sort of this bind that they're in right now where they're trying to be aggressive and chase explosive plays, but minimize the risk of turnovers. And he said, he admitted that that is the challenge right now. I think Jonathan Taylor is the best route they have to doing that because you know, he's fumbled eight times in like 46 games, but like that is a much safer life to, to hand him the ball. But also he's the most explosive player they have on this offense who's healthy right now so uh, I really thought this would be the week that that we really got to see him going we saw it in terms of the performance but I wanted to see more from the player so I think Shane did other good things for this team today but I think that was a big reason why they didn't have the explosive plays to match what they were giving up yeah I thought he would have housed that 
that uh, Zach Moss run too, because it was it was so wide open when he when he broke through the line. There was no one there. Um, uh, unsung villain for me. I'm going to go with the defensive the defensive line non non DeForest Buckner division. Um, just just not a lot. The, the Saints rushed for 160 161 yards. Uh, they really struggled as the game went on. They had two quarterback hits on the day and three tackles for loss total. Yeah. Just not a just not a great day. Not not a great day. They're, now they're, they're down at nose tackle without Grover Stewart and Eric Johnson. You're on your third and fourth options there, but it just they, you got to have more, especially that Saints offensive line had been struggling. Um, they didn't, you know, they didn't think they could protect Carr in two quarterback hits. Like on a day when you knew you had to, like the the equation for this defense has been pretty obvious the whole season. It's the defensive line has to get stuff done because they got some, they've got issues in the secondary, and you really knew that today, and they they just didn't do it. So unsung villain for me, just the entire defensive line, not named. DeForest Buckner. That brings us to to unsung hero. Uh, unsung hero of the day. Uh, I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Michael Pittman here. Michael Pittman Jr. I was gonna go Josh Downs. There's a little bit of a he had a, he had a drop. Not like not like a seven for seventy two with one drop is still a really good line. But that drop, I think I'm gonna shift it over and go with Pittman. Eight catches for 40 yards, a touchdown. Didn't really get anything down the field, but that's more of a, a function of what they're going to have to do with Gardner Minshew at quarterback um, because they, they just threw short a lot with him. Um, and, you know, the touchdown, a couple tough catches. I'm just going to go – Pittman Jr., down, down, I'll give Downs like a, a, a honorable mention. Cause I think, cause I think you know where I think I know where you're going. I don't want to take it from you. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Drew Ogletree. Um, <laughs> is that where you thought I was gonna go? Yeah, I was right. Okay, uh, I'm going Drew Ogletree because, like last week, I brought up how the Colts had a very odd <laughs> stat line for the tight ends, where they had negative six yards. Uh, they're compromised at that position without Kevin Granson and Jelani Woods, but today. It wasn't like a huge, big volume day. Drew Gautier targeted three times, just the one catch, but it was a 33-yard touchdown, and that was a huge moment where they, uh, you know, that they, they were down two scores. They needed it was either form a drive now, or you're just going to get blown out of this game. And they did. They had a 75-yard drive, and they ended it with that where uh, Minshew scrambles out to the right sideline, and it's just straight scramble drill where Drew. You know, he he was a wide receiver all the way up until the end of his college time, so he's playing this a more natural feel for the game than you'll often see for young tight ends, uh, you know, especially guys like him who spend so much of the time blocking. So just a really nice grab sliding there at the back of the end zone to pull them within one touchdown. And I just like the ways they're using him in the run game too. They really have moved him up to be the top blocking option. And, you know, and it's not just that he's out there as like a extra lineman. He's the guy that's sort of moving across the formation, moving out to the perimeter you know, he loves when he gets kind of a running start to go up to uh, safeties or cornerbacks on the perimeter. And I think that had a, a factor in some of those early Jonathan Taylor runs. And uh, you just start to you're just starting to see kind of this well-rounded package of why they liked him in the first place, where 
you know, he's a guy who's converted from wide receiver to tight end. He's got sort of an array of skills between those two. Um, and maybe not, you know, in individual skills that are totally flashing out there. You know, I, I, he's, he's a guy who's better than I think the box score is showing because, um, because, because of the stuff he's doing in the run game. So to combine that with a, with a clutch touchdown was a pretty good day. Number of the day. Uh, number of the day for me, I'm going to give you two. 6.8 and 5.2. 6.8 is the Colts' number of yards per carry. 5.2 is the number of yards per attempt. Uh, good offensive day for the Colts. 27 points, 300 and something, 300 and north of 350 yards. But I, this is going to come up a couple times in this podcast. But uh, 5.2 is is just not going to do it. No. <laughs> it's just not going to do it in the passing game. Um, 6.8 is great in the run game. That's fantastic. Uh, but it, six point, even 6.8 is a very pedestrian yards per attempt for a passing game. So, yeah, uh, they that even if the Colts are at 6.8 yards per carry, they're going to have to do better than – you should still be aiming for better than that. And today they were much – much worse in the passing game. 5.2 yards per attempt, even with the 33-yard uh, touchdown pass to Drew Ogletree. Well, that 33-yarder was their only passing play of 20 yards or more. Um, and in a game when you drop back 43 times, you know, that's not exactly what you want. So not a great day in terms of generating real production from the passing game. Um, I'm going to go with, to tie this into my unsung villain, I'm going to go with 28 which is uh, the number of plays the Colts ended with without giving a Taylor to John, a carry to Jonathan Taylor. So he had the first carry in the second half, and he went for one yard, and they ran 28 plays after that, no carries for Taylor. So that just sort of emphasizes why, just the weirdness I thought of this, right? It's just, you can, you can blame it on game flow and some other stuff, but that, 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 that kind of feels like ignoring a player, and um, that's one, one kind of blind spot I think with Shane uh, so far this season, is there are times like that where just a player just kind of falls out of the game plan, and and you end up looking afterward and wondering like where'd that guy go? And it just it needs to be something else, sort of keeping uh, keeping some tabs on that. This brings us to the uh, the interlude part of the podcast, the fun stuff, game day observations. Uh, my game day observation: I need a little more next year if if the Colts are here on Halloween weekend. We're going to need a little more costume work from the fans. There, there was one really great costume. This is the first time I think I've ever seen uh, when they do the Lion King hold-up promotion that there was someone actually holding up a kid wearing a Simba costume, which made me really, really upset that the dad wasn't wearing a Rafiki costume. Like that, the level yeah, okay. of the level of planning for that would have I would have really enjoyed. Uh, but I just I, I I use my binoculars and kind of look through the stands. I, I, not, not a lot of costumes. Like that's that's the fun of this. Let's get some. Let's get some weird stuff in the stands. Let's get like a blue Grim Reaper or something. And like, or not even Colts costumes. Like, let's just, just you wear your Halloween costume. That's the fun of being somewhere on Halloween. Uh, I could just, I'll just use a little more. Just a little more. You know, I don't want to be, don't want to be too, too much of a jerk about it, but let's, it's Halloween. Let's have some fun. Yeah. I was hoping to see some more anything Halloween related. It really wasn't much in the stands at all for that. In fact, like the one time I enjoyed the little, uh, I don't know what you say. It was sort of like an interlude uh, during one of the timeouts. They had like P. 
people in costumes dancing down the field where there was like a there was like a Pikachu, there was like a Mr. Potato Head, and then random stuff like a like a flamingo. Uh, There's like a broccoli stick, but that like that was fun just seeing like people out in costumes doing that. But I wanted to see more of that stuff in the stands, and uh, was a little let down by that. The, the one thing I did like from the stands is uh, the lookalike cam was a little better this week. Uh, they did the Star Wars theme, and it's kind of hard to lay out on a podcast, but the one they did for Chewbacca was just, uh, it was pretty hysterical. It was just so on point, the, the first selection they made. So uh, it's, it could be kind of hit or miss uh, with, with some of that, but um, but yeah, this week was on point. Yeah, the guy was a good sport about it too. The guy was a, good, was, was a very good sport about it. Um, three football things that gave me joy, full disclosure. This, one, this one's going to take me a little while today. Um, it was not really a football things that gave me joy type of game. Uh, yeah. Number one, going for it on fourth down on the first touchdown. I'm gonna, uh, well, I'm gonna do two in one here. It puts a little bit of a, a an onus on you. I apologize, but I'm gonna do two in one. So fourth and one, the the Colts line up, uh, and to go for it. I I wanted them to go for it right away. They decided not to, uh, and then the Saints committed a penalty to put them back in a fourth and one situation and gave Shane Steichen a chance to rethink it. And this is so the the fact that they went for it on fourth and one, I liked as a football thing that gave me joy. And then the second part piece of this is the, the play call, Um, you know, faking the run saints are all sucked in Michael Pittman. Just so by himself (laughs) on, on the outside, it was like a variation on, I think I've said on this podcast before, like I love the uh, the goal line um, play action fake where they slip the tight end out because no one's ever covered it. This is like a wide receiver variation on it. So I'll, I'll make those my first two football things that gave me joy. I I, I apologize. I probably did a, not, not a great job of looking for these today. No, it was a it was a harder day to um, to gather some of that. There's just you're too locked in on stuff that was happening that was not joyous. <laughs> They were there. This would be easier to do the. We've joked about doing like the the football things that gave me pain. Um, <laughs> there's a little bit more of that today, but but there were some there were some funny moments, fun moments, and I will say, uh, related to that, um, Michael Pittman Jr. Just the fact that he got the first five pass attempts in the game, um, <laughs> seven days after you know he and I had a conversation where uh, he laid out that he did not think he was getting enough targets to just see that. That kind of course correction um, just kind of brought up an old analogy that uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So uh, Pittman got to be the squeaky wheel and got some grease and paid off with a touchdown on that first drive. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, today's a little hard for other things that really gave me joy, though. I'm not going to lie. Uh, hmm. Uh, my my third one is Josh Downs's. I'll give you a little time here to try to th- come up with one. My third one here is Josh Downs's play uh, that he made the catch in the Saints. Really, really bad challenge, especially because it was on their sideline. Um, but like, there's so many plays each week where you feel like a guy across the NFL. Where like, if you're if you're there live, you're like, there's no way this dude had any chance at getting his feet down, and somehow they always get their feet down. Uh, and that was one. I was one. That was one of the reasons that gave me joy. Was I actually was watching the pass through the binoculars instead of just the line. And you can back me up on this. I, I called catch, like, in real time. Yeah. And yep. 
and frequently I'm wrong on that. So I, I was, I was, I was, it gave me joy that I was both, that I was right about it and, and just watching the toe tap. Yeah. I'll, I'll just sort of share that play. Cause what I loved about it was here's just so much concentration happening and a split second from Josh Downs, who's a rookie. So you've got a guy who's trying to leap through the air to catch that pass. Who's trying to get two feet tapped down while also bringing his other hand that doesn't have the ball underneath to cradle the ball when he lands so that the ball doesn't hit the turf. And so we don't run into this stuff we just saw a week ago with Kenny Moore and DeForest Buckner. And to time that all up where he's getting his hand to the ground, but the but it out of bounds, but it doesn't touch before the feet, which he has to get two of those in to get a catch for a guy who's in his first year coming from college where he only needs to get one foot down. I just thought that was kind of surreal. I'm still not quite sure how he was able to so smoothly pull that off, but that's kind of kind of sums up who Josh Downs has been so far. He just doesn't look like a rookie with anything that he does. Oh, wait, you know what? I came up with a third thing. I came up with a third thing. I don't have to cheat. A referee had to throw his hat. It's funny to me. It's a very small thing. This is a very tiny football thing that gives me joy. But anytime a referee has to throw his hat, it tickles me. That is fun. Um, yeah, a little bit more lighthearted fun from the referees this week, I think. Uh, but I will, even though it was still a loss for the Colts, I guess I'll kind of circle back to what you brought up with the the fourth down play. The thing that I thought was just funny was like the, they were they they lined up. Colts lined up to do what they always do, trying to get a team to jump. They didn't jump. So they took a penalty to kick the field goal. But the Saints were then in the neutral zone. So it just went right back to where it was. And that's when Shane decided, oh, I think we're just going to go for it now. Like he had enough time there to kind of, I don't know, if maybe he was regretting not already running a play there. Uh, but he got another shot at it. And that's when they just kind of rolled out a play design that, like you mentioned, was completely uncovered. So just the idea that like the, you know, that that they were trying to concede in that moment and the Saints messed up enough to give it right back to them and give them a second chance, a second decision, seven points. It's kind of funny. Uh, now back into the serious stuff. Uh, too much blame, too little blame. Uh, we'll start with... We'll start with too little blame. I'm going to start right away. Gardner Minshew is getting too little blame for this game. Um, yeah. that, that pick... The interception came at a very bad time. Zach Moss had just ripped off a 41-yard run. The Colts were in field goal position, and uh, they were trailing by one. Like they, they, a field goal, if you if you only get a field goal there by Matt Gay, you at least had the lead. Instead, he he's he's moving right. He's, he's not great on the move. Um, he's made a few throws there. He made he had a really good one today. A short one. He's not good at throwing on the move, though, c- consistently. And he's really not been good throwing deep uh, on the move. And and he just floats a ball to to Paulson Adebo. There, there's, there's a little bit of complication in here. Um, Michael Pittman Jr. said after the game that it's it was his fault because they told him not to take that route to the middle um, and to leave that route outside. I'm not convinced I buy that. Uh, and I don't know if this is, this might be me just talking completely wrong, but 
it was open to the middle. <laughs> to no, the I outside, agree with you. There was, to the outside, there was a cornerback. Like, it's a scramble play anyway. Yeah, I, I think that was Pittman just trying to take ownership of whatever he could take ownership of. Um, he does, you know, contrary to last week, he, he does that a lot, actually. He really does really fine-tune on. He, he thinks he's got to go over, above and beyond to make certain plays and make up for certain things. And so he was just really honing in on himself there. But it's one of those things where if it had worked, if that sort of freelancing down the field had worked like it's worked before, if that was a big play, I don't think he he'd be talking about how you know he I, I don't think they'd be talking about how he violated a coaching point. I mean the the thing about it is like this season he's <laughs> Reggie Wayne jokes he does a lot of this where like he runs the route a little different than maybe they draw it up, but that's often what makes the play happen is those sort of freelancing adjustments. So um, I guess you have to live with the results if they don't work, but that's like that was not the only certainly not the only thing that um, uh, that was the problem there. So am I am um, I wrong? Am I wrong to think that I wanted to make sure I got this question into you before you you went to your your uh, too too little blame? Like, am I wrong to think that like isn't this like thing we kind of celebrate Travis Kelsey and some of these other guys for is you know freelancing in the right way? Oh yeah, and, and like I said, Pittman, I felt like the 2021 season was. Up until late in the year, it was a lot about him doing that. And that's that was Carson's game. And it was like when it worked, it was awesome. And no one came back and said, like, oh well, like that that's what scramble plays are. I mean, and maybe they I mean they there's a there's a process to coaching the scramble play that sure you can nitpick. And that that's all it really felt like was nitpicking. And they're they're all trying to they're trying to find ways to fix these turnover issues. So any little thing they can go at, but but yeah, if you don't ever try and freelance like that, I just I don't think they're they're not going to generate explosive plays in the passing game with the with just just by running um, straight to traditional plays like this um, with the personnel they have right now. So, um, so you know, it, it was just sort of like a risk reward element that there was a little bit of risk to, but you know, I thought it was fine. Um, for my uh, my too little blame, um, this one's hard. <laughs> Gardner was a good one because I've seen some of that same take about um, about the quarterback. Um, I'm going to hmm. – You can pile on if you want. Yeah. I guess I'll just extend it to – yeah, I'll sort of pile on. I'll extend it to the passing game in general, so it's not just about the quarterback. But I just feel like there's been this thing where, like, I've seen so many fans be like, well, we put up points, so therefore it was good. No, you lost the game. I mean, like, there are moments where, yes, you can look at a game where you think, I don't know what else the offense could have done. If you if you lose, you know, for example, Cal lost to USC last night 50-49. to 49. So I, I, that could be a moment where you don't know what else the offense could have done. But two straight weeks I've heard a little too much of this about whether it's the, the offense in the passing game specifically that, like, everything was dandy because they had a good point total. What matters is, winning the game and there's like last week it was yeah they put up a lot of points they also turned over four times so that to me got a little bit misconstrued and then this week it's not so much you know the turnovers but it's the fact that like you know you scored 27 and like the turnovers i guess were sort of an equal equal 
equal thing. DeForest Buckner got you. Actually, I think they had four more points off turnovers today. If I, now that I think about it, but um, but it just was like they they scored twenty seven points, but like you said, the passing game it was five yards per drop back, and it was one play over twenty yards in a game that was played in a dome, a game that like last week was a bunch of explosive plays all around. Today, the explosive plays were all in the Saints' end, and to just the Colts moved the ball today. They ran it really well. I, I give the run game all the credit. They were explosive and they were efficient. They just didn't get the ball a ton. Their passing game just to me did did nothing in terms of either efficiency or explosiveness. And to not have either one of those last week, they at least had the explosiveness. They they didn't have either of those today. And that's just going to be. I, I just don't know how you can drop back forty three times and not be either efficient or at all explosive and feel happy about that. So it's it's weird to me that maybe that just speaks to the expectations. Maybe everyone's really lowered the bar since Anthony Richardson got hurt and, you know, this year is now what it is. But I don't know. I, I'm just not really willing to do that to that level. I mean, it's – I think you can you can acknowledge some of the things they're up against, and you can also say that they're not the main reason they lost without taking it to a point where saying, like, oh, everything was fine because at least they had 27 points. Well – they're not doing the things to win football games three straight weeks with this passing game. So I, I don't look at it as, as if it's been fine. To your point, one of their drives was just 30 yards after the Buckner play. Um, yep. Do you have a, do you have a too much blame off the top of your head? Yeah, it's kind of in the weeds. I'm going to go with the Colts linebackers. Um, I've just seen some takes today. I mean, some reactions that obviously wasn't – Nobody on the defense played all that well outside DeForest Buckner, but uh, you know, Shaq Shaquille Leonard had 11 tackles. That's I thought today was a better game for him, and I've seen him get some blame for like the the Taysom Hill play. He gets kind of he falls down on the ground. Tony Brown basically tackled him, so he got a guard on that play. He got blocked twice in that play, once by a guard and once by his own cornerback, and that's kind of hard to chase down Taysom Hill through two blocks. Uh, so I, I thought he was getting too much blame on that. And then I don't know if I've seen it as much, but if, just if you wa- went, go based on like watching the game, this wasn't one of Zaire Franklin's best games, but he was really fighting through it. I mean, it, he he was really in pain on that knee injury. And we talked to him after and he just said he felt like if he has any chance to be out there, he, he's got to be the guy to, to be out there. And all of a sudden he's in coverage against Alvin Kamara one on one dealing with that knee issue like he's the guy that's supposed to lift this run defense you know with some of the issues they have without Grover Stewart uh, as the run started piling up in the second half like, like the Saints ended up running 36 times uh you know and he's he's gutting it out so I just between those two players I thought I thought they really within the confines of what they were dealing with which is Zaire's injury and just the absolute lack of an outside cornerback I just it's I don't really think they should get any blame, any any severe blame for this, other than the fact that really the whole defense didn't do anything all that impressive. There weren't splash plays or anything beyond that strip sack. So um, I just wouldn't take it very far with those two. Too much blame for me. I'm going to go offensive line. Open a lot of holes. Gets a pretty good front. Only gave it two sacks, seven quarterback hits. Those numbers are okay. I, I saw, you know, I, I felt like there's some... Um, Worry about who's getting beat, that kind of thing. Minshew doesn't doesn't help 
when he has to extend plays. I want to say that, like, because he does, when they do when he's getting the ball out quick, he is helping them. But when he ha- when he has to deal with pressure, the way he deals with pressure does not help uh, the offensive line in general. Um, you know, the the in in it's it's a pretty good front for the Saints. It's it's well, I shouldn't say that their pass rush has not been good this year. Dennis Allen is good at getting pressure and figuring out ways to do that. He always has been, even as a coordinator. I, I think the offensive line was pretty decent today, so I'll I'll go there too much blame. That that brings us to the um the finishers here for the categories. Uh, one to throw away. I'm going to do a really quick, fast one to throw away. Uh, I don't think we're going to be talking about Tony Brown playing outside corner very much. Yeah. That's li- think li- literally an idea to throw away. I, I think this may have been a one-off. I don't... I would not be surprised if we saw him play, like, fewer than 10 snaps on defense the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I bet he's just a backup nickel again. Because he played nine last year. So, <laughs> we'll try, well, the idea of him as an outside corner, just toss it. Bye. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's a pretty good one. Um, yeah. I, that's actually a perfect answer because I'm having a hard time going with uh, <laughs> uh, much other than that. I mean, uh, let's see here. I guess I'll. I guess if we're kind of focusing on things the Colts should throw away, I'll just kind of double back to the idea that this is like a fifty-fifty backfield. That needs to go away. It just does. And like I, I like Zach Moss. I think he's got a good role in you know certainly short yardage. I think he's totally fine to give a, a series or two in a game. You feel good if Taylor gets dinged up and he's got to go in there, but you've got to generate explosive plays that don't risk a turnover. And to me, the only way to feel good about doing that is to play Taylor a lot. And that's to me, that's why you paid him 26 million guaranteed. So uh, two straight weeks here, they've had basically the same workload. Like that's the one for them to throw away. I think this needs to be the last week that a healthy Taylor is uh, playing at the same uh, usage level as, as anybody else in the backfield. That leaves us with the last one, one to go on one that we always do this one last because it's the thing that you're, you're going to be thinking about for a long time. Uh, Something from this game that's going to be a conversation piece for the rest of the season. Uh, one to go on. What what you got off the top of your head? I mean, I think secondary issues are the easy uh, answer here. I guess I'll to expand it to a place we haven't quite talked about. Is I'd just say like, Juju Brents is going to come back. It doesn't sound like a you know too too serious of an injury. Um, so so they'll get some help here, uh, but things are going to happen throughout it, and like. Even with him, who I think you you can feel very good about, he's making some great plays, physical plays. He's gotten some couple of turnovers, but he's given up some plays too. Like that's what young corners do in this league. Like Jalen Jones today didn't get targeted all that much, in part because of what was happening on the other side, and and just pretty much the plan was get the ball to Alvin Kamara and then you know whoever Tony Brown was was covering. But he's going to have some up and down moments too. So and then if, if either one of those guys gets injured. We're right back having this conversation of like who steps in. So while I do think we'll be done talking about Tony Brown in that way, I do think there'll be other weeks where we're playing this game of like, what do they do either during a game when a guy goes down or during a week when a guy's banged up, wondering kind of where do they pivot? Because 
there's so few options on this team is, is how they got to this point. And I think that's going to be something we talk about uh, throughout the season. One to go on for me is just we're going to be constantly having this this push and pull between uh, is it fine for the Colts to be losing and people being upset that the Colts are losing. And I don't know if I know the right answer. Now that you're now that you're like, I think now now that you're three and five. And looking at you're, you're looking at a pretty tough AFC field. Um, I think I can see maybe the the rationale for uh, uh, somebody wanting to be more okay with what they've had in the past, where they've they've struggled, where they've you know kind of just or sorry, I didn't say that well for what what they what we all thought when they started this season, which is they're just going to figure things out and you know not make too many investments and and try to play everything for the future. I thought before this there was still a chance for them to get back in it. Um, and they've, they've been in these games and I, you know, they've, they've had a chance they they could be five and three pretty easily. Uh, I think if, if they had made some other moves, but now, now I kind of see where fans are, are at and there's just going to be this push and pull the rest of the season. There's nine more games for people to react to nine more games of coaching decisions and things highlighting moves. They didn't make in the off season. Um, they're going to frustrate people. It's going to be all put up against, okay, well, Richardson's gone. It's it's going to start to feel a little bit more like a lost season in terms of wins and losses. And and we're kind of there to begin with. But um, that, that push and pull, I just I don't I, I don't think it's going away. And I don't think there's any easy answers to it. No, I mean, the easy answer would be if, if they picked a lane like that this week ahead of the trade deadline, then it would pretty easily answer that for us. But I have a feeling we're not going to, We'll see. I, I would be surprised if we see much movement that gives us that kind of clarity. So I do think we'll have those conversations. I mean, they're at three and five. They're at a tough spot for the reasons you laid out. If they were to win the next two against the Panthers and Patriots, which are winnable games, and they go into the five and five, and they're able to fix some of the issues we're talking about, I think they can, you know, they can start to at least talk themselves into kind of having the chance. But it could also slip the other direction too, where even, you know, even if they're four and six, and obviously, if they're three and seven, it's it's a it's a different conversation. But I do think well, it's going to be hard for us all to get on the same page about what this season is supposed to be because it was pretty clear back when they had Anthony Richardson, even if they were falling short in these games, it was about getting those reps, building him as a passer, building the offense around him. It is a little bit weirder figuring that all out when they also just paid a running back. They chose not to trade DeForest Buckner this offseason. There's been sort of like. We've kind of had it both sides from uh, from the Colts, so I understand why uh, fans kind of kind of take it both sides too sometimes. So it probably is going to be an ongoing conversation. Yeah, if this were baseball, we'd get a really like clear answer from the deadline because it, in baseball, you either make moves, you, you either you either buy, sell, or stand pat, and all of those tell you tell people exactly what you are. Um, in the NFL, the trade deadline doesn't work that way. And traditionally, Chris Ballard has not been very active at the deadline. Um, you know, the, with the exception of making the Naheem Hines move, which was instigated by Hines himself. It's just mm-hmm. not something he's really done. So I, maybe we get answers this week. I, I don't think that's likely. Yep. For the Colts Cover 2 podcast, this has been the First Impressions Edition. Uh, Colts are back on the road after being home four weeks out of five. They go on the road to Carolina next week, 
and then to Germany to play the Patriots. Uh, we'll be covering it all. I'm Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. We'll talk to you midweek.